As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. On this episode, International Blues, Romelu Lukaku's Belgian Century, Academy Update and WSL Disappointment. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Listener, it's me, Matt Davis Adams, here with you today, joined by two of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. Simon Johnson is here. Hello. And so do Dominic Byfield. Good morning, Matt. Uh, All right, let's get to some Chelsea-related talking points from the international break thus far. Uh, One thing that occurred to me watching England versus Andorra yesterday, Rhys James playing in central midfield in the second half of that game. Um, Dom, admittedly, any of the three of us could probably have done the same in that particular match, but might have uh, might have made Thomas Tuchel have a little think. He's brought Saul in now, so I guess it's quite unlikely. But if he didn't know, he knows now that Reese is capable of doing that. Yeah, I'm sure he probably did know that. You know, at a push, that that's a position that he could fill in on. It was a strange one with England because I suppose the focus was largely drawn towards Trent Alexander Arnold in terms of the. No, getting the third right back into the starting eleven. Um, Kieran Trippier having played at left back during the Euros, and Alexander Arnold looked distinctly uncomfortable in midfield through that first half on the right of the three, and actually looked far, well, far better in the second half again operating at right back. And and Reese Reese got forward and he hit the bar, so he I think he's just, his versatility will, yeah, will count in his favour certainly at international level, and I think that was one of the reasons he. One of the reasons he got into the squad in the summer as well, so uh, no no qualms about that. But whether uh, Tuchel could use it, I guess, but he has got options there. As, as we're, we're writing about this week, the the powers of of, of Chelsea's midfield, which have just been bolstered um, during the recent transfer window as well. So I think it would be quite a last resort, but but one that potentially could explore go back to those Wigan days when I think he operated there for an entire season. Yeah, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's well worth searching Reese James Golvey, Bristol City, when he was playing in central midfield for Wigan. Absolute beauty from about 40 yards. 
Uh, Joel's tweeted us to ask whether Lukaku should be on pens for Chelsea now, Simon. This is after Jorginho missed one on Sunday for Italy in their goalless draw against Switzerland. A few people have mentioned this. I can never make my mind up whether Jorginho is a brilliant penalty taker or actually if you examine his record, it's not that good. Um, I'm sure Lukaku's thinking about it. And, and also, it's, it's a great way of getting cheap goals for an expensive striker. That's why I, I sort of queried it with Timo Werner particularly in the early months when you just sort of think last season where there was a glorious opportunity for him to sort of start racking up some goals and just take some of the pressure off. Um, yeah, Jorginho has missed a few and, and that's the problem with his technique because because he hits it so so slowly, if the keeper does go the right way, he's in a bit of trouble. Um, and of course he missed a rather big, what could have been a very big one in the in the Euro 220 final. That would have um, turned him from... Uh, Hero to zero, many Italian, uh, and and also, of course, Chelsea fans sort of see him as this sort of Ballon d'Or contender. Um, no, I, 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 he is a good penalty taker, but he wouldn't be first on my list. Yeah, give it to Lukaku, get him, get him that golden boot that he he so wants. Uh, speaking of Werner, he scored for Germany uh, in both their wins against Liechtenstein. And Armenia, so a few people have, have been in touch to ask whether that means that he'll play his way into the team against Villa. Has been a surprise, Dom, that we've seen so little of him. Do you think Thomas Tuchel takes into account what happens in these international matches when he's thinking about his team for the weekend? I think it's probably more about fitness at this stage of the season and regular game time. Um, I was talking to sports scientists at the start of last season. Um, Okay, slightly exceptional circumstances given the condensed nature of that campaign, but but they were saying that in these first two international breaks, teams generally want to see their players playing for the international teams, getting minutes under the belt, getting some rhythm into their game. And the fact that Werner has has featured in both those matches will will count in his favour, definitely. And, and you know, he's uh, Armenia is hardly a world-beating opposition um, and Aston Villa is considerably stronger, I'd imagine, this weekend. But it's not going to hurt him to have scored a goal and to set up another. I'm, I'm quite intrigued to see how Werner and Lukaku combine when they are given their chance, and I'm sure they will be. I think we, we know that Werner in the past has thrived when he's had another striker up there alongside him, a bigger man maybe, and he can run off him. So hopefully that will work in his favour in the weeks and months ahead. Um, and the very fact that, that Kai Havertz was unavailable for that game through flu, I think he's he's got at the moment, I suppose bolsters the chances of, of Werner getting game time at the weekend. Yeah, one would think so. Yeah, Havertz, as Don mentioned, didn't play for Germany. We'll, we'll probably get an update when he when he gets back to Cobham as to whether he's available for Saturday. Uh, Yarin pointing out Chelsea got pretty lucky that Hakim Ziyech and Thiago Silva didn't get called up for their countries over the international break. Um, listen, you probably heard about Brazil's game with Argentina being abandoned after five minutes after the four English-based Argentina players were marched off the pitch accused of COVID quarantine violations. You might not know that Morocco's players were evacuated from Guinea where they were supposed to be playing after a military coup in the country. Um, all of a sudden, the England band don't seem quite as bad. Uh, a nod to, to Armando Brogia, who came off the bench to hit a late winner for Albania against Hungary. Uh, we'll, roll, we'll roll that into a question from Brian, who says, with Hudson-Odoi not leaving on loan and re-suspended for the next three matches, is there any chance the former will get a few starts? Uh, well, Brogia and Hudson-Odoi, 
two of the Academy products and that allows me to segue nicely into Simon's excellent piece on the state of the Chelsea Academy and Thomas Tuchel's relationship there with. Uh, it's an interesting one, Simon, because it's kind of almost halfway between a Maurizio Sarri and a Frank Lampard approach, if, if, that's, if that's the right way of looking at it. Yeah, I, I think no no one can be under any illusions that Thomas Tuchel isn't Frank Lampard uh, or Jody Morris or Joe Edwards, that, that, that trio. But also, Chelsea aren't in the same position as they were under those three with the transfer ban, etc. So bringing in youth players was a, was a great way of offsetting the fact that Chelsea couldn't buy anybody. Um, what I've tried to explain in the piece is that, yeah, of course there's cause for concern because... With Chelsea getting rid of all these youngsters, a lot of youngsters themselves choosing to want to leave, suddenly you are sort of thinking, well, you know, what what is going on? But it, as as the former loan technical coach Eddie Newton explained in the piece, it is a business, you know, like Chelsea, Chelsea perhaps, you know, they they get criticised a lot for how much they spend, etc. But in the last decade, in particular. They have they have been paying far more respect to FFP and trying to make make ends meet a lot more. I know people point to last year where they spent over a club record two hundred million, but that was that was funded by sales of Hazard and Morata, and and it's just this year it's now being funded by lots of youth players. Ideally, they'd sell Bakayoko, Drinkwater, Ross Barkley for a lot of money, but clubs don't have much money. And certainly, it's not just the transfer fee that Chelsea will ask for, it's the wages. So what do you do? What's the next best scenario? Well, you look at their brilliant academy. It's it, it's kind of, as I say in the, in the piece, they're a victim of their own success as well. You know, if you've got one of the best academies, you're going to have a lot of clubs sniffing around your players going, oh, you're never going to play for Chelsea. Come play for us. You can play at 18 like Tina Livramento is doing. Look at Jamal Musiala in Bayern Munich and... And so on and so forth. So it, it's a very nuanced piece. Yes, the orders from above, as, as as Eddie sort of says, Roman Abramovich's dream is for all these youngsters to be in the first team. But Chelsea also expect to win silverware every season. It's a really delicate balancing act. And Thomas Tuchel has now got that challenge to try and encourage players like Chalaber to come through. But at the same time, he knows if he doesn't win on, on a Saturday, his job's quickly on the line. But, but Tuchel could, can point, Dom, to the Champions League final, can't he? And say, well, Andreas Christensen played the bulk of that game and Rhys James and, and Mason Mount were, were pivotal to, to Chelsea's victory in it. So there aren't many other European champions who would have three academy players in such prominent positions. So even if people are starting to leave or people are getting stuck in the loan cycle, there are still those sort of totemic figures for, for young players coming through to look at and see that it is still possible, even if Frank Lampard's not the coach anymore. Absolutely, and and we shouldn't forget that for for a very very long period uh, under the under Abramovich's ownership, um, John Terry was the only academy player, ex academy player, you know, playing regularly in the first team. He he was he was always held up, and there was there was this frustration there for for ages and ages and ages that that for, you know for all the money being ploughed into the academy. Um, it, it wasn't producing regular first team players at Chelsea. Well, it, well, it is now, and it, the, the problem, I guess, for the next next wave is not only do they have to displace all the big money signings, but they also have to displace 
you know, three academy graduates turned internationals in, in Mount Christensen and James. So there are even more people ahead of them in the pecking order. I, I thought the piece was really, really interesting. And the, I thought the, the, the quote um, from Chelsea Youth, um, where he explained that the pandemic has almost changed the ideology or the, the way that the, the way that these kids are approaching their football careers. And they, they look at it now and they realise that they don't have as much time as maybe they thought they did. Even anything can happen in football. We've just gone through a pandemic, which has cost 18 months of normality. Um, so if, if an opportunity comes to go and play first team football in the Premier League at a club like, say, Southampton, then they take it now. Whereas maybe in the past, they might have been inclined to, to stick about a bit longer and wait for their chance at Chelsea or earn a good wage at Chelsea and go out on loan. No, they want a bit of solidity and, and, and surety in their life to a certain extent. And, that's that's what Southampton offered Livramento as some a sort of a route into into the first team. The the other thing that's that's maybe slightly pandemic related as well that has probably hurt Chelsea's in terms of retaining this this talent is a lot of clubs out there, a lot of middle of the road Premier League clubs that would normally have been happy to pick up the cast offs, the Barclays, the Bakayoko's, I look at Spurs, at the Sissoko's, etc. And Sissoko's a, t- a player in, in point. I, I know he was offered to two or three Premier League clubs that would normally be perfect takers for him, would have been happy to pay his wage because they they, they know they're getting a, a a seasoned international who will come in and do a job for them. But, but their philosophy had changed overnight. They didn't want a 30-something experienced player. They, they actually wanted... The next generation, they wanted a, somebody in their early twenties who's going to be the future that they can build something around, um, and is and has a sell-on value potentially. So it's almost changed the philosophy. I, I know Sissoko went to Watford, but I think the newly promoted clubs are slightly different again. And this is this is all these is like a perfect storm, which has seen a lot of academy players at Chelsea leave in one summer. Um, something that maybe we wouldn't have envisaged. A couple of years back, even a year back, and 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 now we're seeing them dispersed around the top flight, and indeed around the world. It, the the one point I sort of just want to add on that is that you know Chelsea fans also have got to decide sort of what they want. You know, do you want sort of to wait and and sort of wait for more youngsters to come through and and get frustrated when the odd result goes against you? A bit like what happened during the Lampard era. You know, it was an entertaining. 18 months but it didn't bring any trophies or do you want the sort of the the manager that's obviously going to be a bit more ruthless you can only have to look at the sort of the treatment that Thomas Tuchel's handed out to Hudson Odoi for example but you're winning every week you're winning a Champions League trophy also you look at it and go these youth players have effectively funded Romelu Lukaku and if you were to sort of say Lukaku v Tammy Abraham, who would you rather have leading the line? Tammy Abraham is still a, a, a player that's working on his game. Lukaku's the finished article. That's why everyone's talking about Chelsea being title contenders now. So it it is one that Chelsea supporters themselves also have to sort of think, well, what do they really want from this team? Do they do they do they wanna go for the youth players, which is perfectly fine, but accept the consequences? Or accept the fact that Chelsea are going to sort of buy more of the finished article and perhaps compete for major silverware on a regular basis. Where I have issue is, for example, the Jules Conde situation, where 
you've got a 22-year-old who's obviously a good defender, but you already had Tamori and Gehi on your books. You know, could they have been better served in the team? Or, or Chalaba, who's exactly the same age, you know, if Kunde comes in, then, then what's that say about Chalaba's future? That's where sometimes you sort of think, is it really worth buying that player at potentially the cost of this other one? The other one, of course, is um, I'm a bit concerned about Billy Gilmore, you know, with, with Saul Niguez coming in. If they trigger his option and Chelsea keep the other three, what's that say about Billy Gilmore's future? But yeah, it's a very nuanced situation and there's no perfect answer, I don't think. And before we move on from it, Simon, um, buy Neil Bath a pint is something that often trended on Twitter during uh, during Frank Lampard's reign and, and every time we see an academy graduate. I really love the detail at the start of the piece about Thomas Tuchel getting everybody, not just beer, but strong German beer to kind of ease that trepidation amongst the academy staff ahead of their, their first meeting with Tuchel. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I thought Thomas Tuchel uh, didn't like beer. Um, he, I'm sure he gave a press conference where he, where he sort of inferred he liked other beverages. But yeah, it just shows he doesn't tell us the truth in press conferences. Um, but no, what a great sort of disarming way, one, to sort of have this meeting in the first place, but, but as sort of got wind of, you can imagine everyone sitting there going, oh, what's this guy going to be like? Is he going to be a, a real difficult guy? Is he going to be, are we going back to the past, pre-Lampard? And just, I think that is another indication of the man that he just sort of um, completely uh, charmed everyone. And, and let's be honest, he doesn't like to chat over a pint. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'm sure it's a very productive meeting. Um and uh, yeah, I, but it just it just formed a, a harmony which I think is still going on. Like as I, as I also said, you know, Neil Bath was was there watching training only a few days ago ahead of the Liverpool game, and if you sort of go back to previous managers who who wouldn't even bother sending an assistant to go watch a youth game. It's a completely <laughs> different environment, so it's not all doom and gloom for sure. Yes, the the Lampard era, which was a golden era for the academy, is over. But it's certainly still lots of room for optimism about the future. Dom, he's a really engaging figure, isn't he, Thomas Tuchel? I'm fascinated to see how long it's going to last because it seems so harmonious between him and kind of every level of the club at the moment. And even in terms of his relationship with the media and that kind of thing, he seems to have charmed everybody and everybody likes him. But you can't help think we've been here before and, and we kind of know how it ends. But whether that's this season, next season or the end of his contract, it's going to be interesting to find out. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah, we, we have all uh, lived through this scenario before. I, I mean, I'm not comparing Thomas Tickle to Roberto Di Matteo in any way, but I seem to remember that Chelsea started the, the season 2012-13 absolutely on fire and I mean it looked as if all the momentum carried in from from Munich was was still with the side uh, Tuchel's obviously a different caliber of manager but yeah we just have to you know we'll see how it plays out let's enjoy it while it while it lasts and we know that the Chelsea model how they operate um if if the wheels do fall off on the pitch then only one thing ever happens but we're not at that stage now we're we're, we're still very much enjoying what what Tuchel's offering and and I mean the depth of the quality that he's got in that squad is is quite frightening he's obviously an excellent excellent head coach 
It seems to be galvanising people on the training ground. They seem to be enjoying working for him. There haven't been any major blips, really. I mean, considering where Chelsea were when he took over, it's 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 all gone swimmingly well so far. And I mean, I think that probably says a lot about him in terms of the in terms of the media. I mean, I do wonder whether he he might be benefiting from the fact that we're all traipsing down into Cobham every week, twice a week, most most weeks. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. When that changes, you know, does his attitude change? Because that must be quite weird having having a sort of a load of people from outside coming into your place of work every every week, twice a week, and sort of scrutinising you. I mean, it's it's slightly more distant when you're doing it on Zoom. It doesn't feel quite as real. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I think I think UEFA are probably going to be pushing for journalists to be allowed in to do press conferences at stadia and uh, and training grounds possibly um so we'll see whether that puts them on collision course with the premier league and and where that goes in the late autumn but uh, that that will change the dynamic slightly i imagine yep going to be interesting to see that and uh, if and when any other academy graduates are integrated into the chelsea first team athletic.com slash chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber this is exactly why you should be this kind of piece is what the athletic do better than anybody else loads of great quotes from different people in there and some fantastic detail as well uh, right you might have noticed there was one particular international blue we didn't speak about in our roundup we'll put that right next as we discuss big rom's special night in belgium it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. This is Taito to Lukaku, he'll get on to that! Lukaku fires Belgium in front. In the eighth minute of the game, Lukaku breaks through. Absolutely unerring finish from Rumelu Lukaku. On Sunday night, Romelu Lukaku earned his 100th Belgium cap in their 3-0 win against the Czech Republic. He marked the occasion by scoring his 67th goal for the Red Devils. That gave us the perfect excuse to call up European football expert and actual Belgium, Christophe Terreur. Uh, Christophe, talk us through Lukaku's performance on Sunday. Uh, a goal, an assist and maybe most pleasingly for Thomas Tuchel, a yellow card as well. I think that tackle was the was the best thing he's done. I, I've I've never seen him tackling like that. He le, he left a deep track into the field. You you will still see it today. So uh, when you watch the pitch, he made the tackle, and you clearly saw uh, 
I'm going to get that yellow card. I don't <laughs> want to travel to Russia. Uh, yeah, Belgium are playing uh, Belarusia on Wednesday. And yeah, there were a few internationals that didn't want to travel to that game. And they all took a yellow. They all have little knocks. Uh, yeah, and Lukaku was just Lukaku, like he always for the national team, basically. He scored a goal and he set up a goal. And yeah, the rest was just... Yeah, it was like a, like a friendly game, basically, yeah, that international game, because we, we scored early on. Yeah, it wasn't the most entertaining game, but Lukaku did what he had to do. And uh, yeah, fine for Belgium. We always win those uh, group games quite easily. And once we get in knockout stages, we're struggling. Christoph, if, if an English striker scored 67 goals in 100 caps, they'd be building statues of him up and down the country and basically calling him the best thing since sliced bread. How is how is Romelu Lukaku considered by the Belgian public? How do how do people look at him? Is he is he a national treasure? Well, it's not a national treasure yet. There are still people that you you read that on social media and in reactions that uh, that some still think he's overrated, but. To be fair, he has won most of them over over the last uh, two or three years. Uh, for for Belgium, it's it's quite easily. They they only judge you on what you do for the national team. I think that not a lot of people are watching uh, his games in England. That that's that's always like the only the real football fans. They are watching those games. Um, there's still some doubt with some people, but it doesn't help that he has played for Anderlecht, for instance, and you have quite some rival teams of Anderlecht and so mm-hmm. football fans who are for the rival teams, fans of the rival teams will never be the biggest Lukaku fans and will always point at his, at his weaker point but I think in general like media wise um, and the general public he's finally accepted it, it it's only three years ago against an international game in Estonia that he was basically booed and uh, after that game he said for me it's basically it's finished I want to retire after the Euros you know, after the World Cup in, in Qatar and, but it doesn't happen and he feels accepted since, uh, since a few years so the debate is not there anymore but there will always be yeah, people criticising him but yeah, that's maybe society in general nowadays Hey Christoph um... So, what level of fitness is is Romelu at? Because obviously, he didn't have much of a pre season because of the the transfer, etc. Is his games with Belgium sort of sharpening him up a bit? Is he now sort of going to come back to Chelsea, sort of closer to hundred percent, or was he hundred percent already, as he sort of showed in in the first couple of games for Chelsea? I will quote him directly. He said that uh, he'd done a lot of work in uh, in in during his holidays, so he came back. Uh, uh, to Inter for pre-season and they had to do a thousand meter test and he scored incredible figures and what he said himself in the interview he, he did on on, uh, on Tuesday with uh, the company I'm working for he said I was ready to play a game to start a league from the first day I arrived so in his head he's ready to play every single game he's struggling with, with a little issue in his tie that's something he said yesterday that he uh, he will have a scan on Monday and then he will see what it is. But it's not something worrying, I think. Otherwise, you don't play uh, two games at a high level. But he is something small that, that's causing him some, some discomfort. But I, I'm not too worried about him. I think uh, 
he will be fit for the weekend. But he considers himself at the, the fittest he's ever been, mentally and physically. Uh, Christoph, before we let you go, I was interested in, in the quotes from your piece with him this weekend where he said, I only realised Chelsea were serious when they made their third offer. First, they offered €100 million, Euros, then 105, then 105 plus Alonso, then 110 plus Zappa Costa. From what you've said earlier about the previous reaction from supporters to him in his Belgium career, is he is he the sort of character who needs to, to feel loved and wanted or, or is that not a big thing for him? Well, that's always been the, the thing in his career. Like even when he was a kid, he he comes from from uh, yeah. They were he, he and his brother. They were the the, the only two blacks in a, in a small white town, and they've always felt like a little bit different. That people were viewing differently at them. That they had always had to prove themselves, basically. And when you give Lukaku a lot of love. He will give you everything back. That's what former managers have, have always said, even in the youth categories. He's a really nice guy, but he needs to feel that love. And he didn't have that at United, for instance, uh, where it was immediately the, the yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, he scored a lot of goals uh, in the Premier League, but he's a flat track bully. So uh, that's something he didn't like. He doesn't like the yes, but. And at Inter, when he was welcomed by, by the fans at, uh, at the airport when he arrived, that was his first reaction. Whoa, what's this? I've never felt this in, in my life. And the same goes for what, what, what Chelsea fans have done, I think, uh, in, the, in his first game, immediately singing his name, basically constantly singing his name. Uh, he felt welcome and that, that's what he needs. And yeah, in that squad, he's feeling welcome. You, I, I haven't seen a lot. I've seen a lot of images of, of him smiling, laughing in training. He already feels accepted. This, it's not something, uh, it's, it's something different for him. I think it's, it's just like he's arrived at a club where everybody already knows him, where he knows a lot of people and he feels already that love. And it's Tuchel did a good thing too, to call him a few times and to really convince him from come over here. I think the chat with, with Tuchel was very important because with Comte, he had a similar connection before, like make him feel that he's welcome, that he's really wanted and he will come. And that's yeah, what Chelsea proved with that offers too but yeah he will have already encouraged them uh, before and otherwise you don't make those offers I think I, I know this is a, a Lukaku loving Christoph, but it would it, be wrong to not ask you about Eden Hazard um, how is he, how's he looking is this the season where we're going to see him really uh, deliver a, a Real Madrid-esque um, standard of performance for, for his club but he first needs to go back in, in to get back in the first 11, I think. That's what I think, because he was at the bench last game. But he played two good games for Belgium, and you saw glimpses of the old Adam dribbling, uh, playing with a smile. Yesterday, he scored his uh, his first goal for Belgium in in almost two years. Um, you see that he's happy, and he doesn't feel the yeah the discomfort in his ankle anymore. And uh, I I remember talking to him even before before the season, and he even promised me. I was I was joking. Uh, I saw an action of him in training, and I said, "Him, uh, comunicado oficial incoming. Uh, you're injured in a few days." And he said, "I won't get injured this season." And I say, "Oh, you sure? Yes, I'm sure." So that means that he's feeling good and he's feeling confident, and that's what we need, I think. But I think he needs still 
a little bit more of time after. Yeah, he's been struggling for, for, for one and a half year, basically. So he still needs a little bit of time. I think all Chelsea fans hope that he gets back to the level that he once was. Uh, Christoph, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll catch up with you again soon. You're welcome, guys. Christoph Terreur there. Follow him at HLN in England. OK, next we'll reflect on an opening day defeat for Chelsea's women. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On Sunday, Chelsea kicked off the defence of their WSL title at Arsenal, but things didn't go the way Emma Hayes wanted. Her side slipped to a 3-2 defeat against Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. After Vivian Miedemar put Arsenal ahead, Erin Cuthbert drew the Blues level, only for Beth Mead to score twice, one of which was clearly offside, meaning Penilla Harder's header proved little consolation. The difficult thing here, Dom, is that Chelsea only lost one game in the league all last season and, and they've managed to equal that in the first match. We saw how tight the margins were. So, yeah, not an ideal way to kick off the campaign. Yes, I guess I guess you're right. And, and it will be a test, but I, I don't think there'll be any signs of panic from Emma Hayes and, and, and the players on, on the back, back of that. I mean, attacking-wise, they, they performed... As well as you might have expected, I think it was fifteen shots at the Emirates, which is pretty good going. I was quite interested to see the new Arsenal manager's comments post-match. That Jonas Idavald saying that Chelsea, the perception is that Chelsea might be weak when teams actually have a go at them and maybe exploit their their high line at the back. Um, he sort of drew parallels with the Atletico game last season and. And uh, Barcelona, obviously, in the Champions League final. And, and clearly, Arsenal targeted that, albeit the third goal was so brazenly offside. Um, and uh, maybe that's maybe that's just something that Emma Hayes has to look at. I mean, I know her players probably don't, don't want to sit deep and, you know, play a stodgy style of football defensively. But, and they'll only come up against elite, elite, you know, teams that are going to be able to hurt them every so often. But maybe that is an aspect that will that will have a, a pondering for the for the the, the, fi- the fixture list ahead. But I wanted to ask you, Matt, about about VAR. Why why are we not seeing? Is it purely financial that we're not seeing VAR in in a in the women's Super League? I mean, given that 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 was a, that's an obvious example of when it would would have been useful. 
Yeah, I would say that that is the most likely reason. And unfortunately, the officiating is something which comes under a lot of scrutiny in the WSL. And for all the investment in it, it doesn't seem like it's been made into that aspect of the game as yet. But but maybe the fact that it will be more visible now will mean that that does happen um, fairly swiftly. It's worth pointing out a couple of caveats in that, that Arsenal have played Champions League qualifiers already. So they're a lot fitter than Chelsea are. And Chelsea had players who went much further in the Olympics then Arsenal did the likes of Sam Kerr and, and Magda Eriksson, who played in the final, as did Jonna Anderson. Um, but also, I think Chelsea are really starting to miss Marin Mielder at right back at the moment. You saw that in the first goal. Vivian Miedemar really caught Jess Carter out of position and, and, and left her for dead, essentially. So that's a big area of concern, which does make it slightly odd that they let Hannah Blundell go to, to Manchester United in the summer and didn't strengthen in that area. But but early days, but but as we saw last season, Simon, the games between the title rivals can be so vital. You know, it's going to be Chelsea, Arsenal and Manchester City. And now Chelsea have already lost one of those head to head. So it puts pressure on when they play the return fixture later in the season, but also on the games with the likes of City and, and maybe to a lesser extent Man United as well. Yeah, but that's when sort of you sort of have to back the sort of history, the fact that they, this team, this manager, knows how to pull a very long winning winning run together. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's too something to get too worried about. It's just sometimes this happens on the opening day of the season, even to the best of teams. But if anything, it will probably sort of galvanise them and the cliche wake up call. You know, all those kind of messages will be. Abandoned around the dressing room, I fully expect them to sort of bounce back very, very quickly and go on a go on a winning run and and, and sort of show why they're going to be very tough to beat once again in the league. But it's it, it's probably good for for women's football. Funny enough, though, that that this result has happened. You know, it shows because Chelsea have been so dominant um, in recent years. Um, people will think, oh, perhaps it won't just be Man City as it was. Uh, last season that Arsenal can actually pose a, a genuine threat. The other thing to bear in mind is, of course, Lauren James wasn't uh, involved. She's the, the high-profile signing of the summer and she's working on her fitness. Um, so give her a few weeks and she'll she'll really boost that, that attack if it needs boosting, to be honest. <laughs> but, so Chelsea Chelsea can get stronger, basically, once, once she's involved as well. Chelsea will be a real force to be reckoned with as, as we fully expected anyway. Yeah, she didn't kick a ball for Chelsea in pre-season. We'll see if she's involved in the Blues' next game. That is at home to Everton this coming Sunday. That's the 12th. That's going to be a good occasion to back at Kings Meadow with what one would assume will be pretty much a full house. Chelsea sold out their allocation of season tickets for the women's team this term. Uh, that will just about wrap things up for this episode. Before we go, though, let's hear what the chaps have been working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Simon, we've heard all about your magnificent Academy piece. What else have you got in the pipeline? Well, you can still read uh, my piece about Callum Hudson-Odoi, of course, who um, it's almost connected, the, the subject, but he's the Academy player Chelsea didn't let go, which is probably to his detriment because you do sort of worry about the amount of minutes he's going to get this season. But in terms of this week... We, we've got a few things sort of coming up in terms of there's a wider read on, uh, there's a bit of a debate that's going on across all the athletic writers of who's got the best goalkeeper, best defence, best midfield, best attack. And me and Dom are both sort of chipping in with Chelsea. We, we've, we've decided not to include, this might be controversial in itself, 
we've decided not to enter Mendy into the best goalkeeper category. Maybe just because we thought we can't have Chelsea in every single one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got to give someone else a chance. Um, I, if I was to sort of say why I, why I wouldn't uh, have Mendy in there, and I do really like Mendy, by the way, before I get bombarded with abuse, I would just say the ball at his feet is is he's getting worse, if anything. Um, I would have thought he'd be getting better, but he looks incredibly nervous whenever the ball's passed back to him. And it, yeah, ever since the season started, he, he sort of, yeah, he just looks like he does, it's like, oh no, you've passed it back to me. <laughs> like, he looks like he's having a panic attack. So that that would be why, why he would be in my, uh, in, in my candidacy. But yeah, me and Dom are working on a joint project. I don't know whether you want to pitch it, Dom, or are we going to keep it I'm under wraps? I'm just enjoying hearing you debating your... Myself. <laughs> with yourself, which is quite remarkable, really. We don't we don't need a team of writers, we just need Simon think, thinking about things. This, this uh, happens a lot in my house. I just shut the door and just have a debate <laughs> with myself. <laughs> um, Dom, if I'd have said to you this time last week, drink water and ramen in Reading, you might think I was offering you out for a pretty disappointing dinner date, but uh, it's actually something else you're going to be looking at. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I think that that's that sounds like my destination for Saturday afternoon to go and see how those those players are are doing early days in their in their stint at, at Reading season long stint and I, I think Danny Drinkwater is in the final year of this contract now surely isn't he well, I'm I'm amazed that he hasn't been offered new terms before he gets sent off on that on that loan deal because quite frankly that that breaks all their policies. Um, Clearly, the last time we'll be seeing Danny Drinkwater in, in his uh, association with Chelsea, so that'll be quite interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll chart that Saturday. There's there's various bits and bobs going online over the course of the week, and a, an interview with um, the weirdly with the director of football at the Canadian Premier League, which I think goes live in the next twenty four hours at some point. Justice, the son of Kevin Gage. Do you remember Kevin Gage? He used to play at Wimbledon, Sheffield United, Villa? Aston Villa, Villa. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Ollie Gage is uh, currently running Canadian football. Wow. Well, that sounds like a textbook athletic piece. Uh, Theathletic.com <laughs> slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. And now you can get a third offer subscription too. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll look ahead to the visit of Aston Villa to Stamford Bridge. Until then, from Simon, from Dom, from producer Lucy and from me, it's bye for now. 